Hello, Media Evil listeners. This is going to be part two of Media Evil's discussion on Game of Thrones with me and my mom, Beth Greenfeld. And I just wanted to up top provide, once again, spoiler warning just for the entire series. And also for this particular episode, a content warning since we do get into some discussion of sexual assault in the series. So please enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening to Media Evil. thing about gender that needs to be mentioned is the fact that there is an immense amount of uh, sexual assault in this show. Going back even to episode one, where we first see Danneries groped by her brother and then raped by her husband. Do you want to wake the dragon? Jesus Christ. I hate him so much. Why did she name a dragon after him? It just It's like the most Stockholm Syndrome thing ever that she has any positive feeling for this disgusting piece of shit. There is, as I said, there's an immense amount. There's sexual assault of essentially random nameless women. There's, pro- there's the sexual assault of prostitutes. There's uh, an immense amount of marital rape. There's what's his name? The one Karstark, what's his name, who's raping all his daughters? And John gets very oh, upset yeah. and says, let's Craster. do something. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, guy says, well, we know, but yeah. he's an ally. <laughs> right. And of course, there's the kind of big scene that everybody has spent a lot of time talking about of uh, uh, Sansa being sexually assaulted by her now husband, Ramsay Bolton. This is something that both Martin and the showrunners have talked about before. And they have talked about this in the sense of we need to have a lot of sexual assault because it's authentic to the period. And we don't want to shy away from this depiction of the period. First of all, and this is a problem that I will discuss in another area as well. You've got dragons. Not You're not authentic. At assault. I'm laughing at the ridiculousness of that statement. Of course. Okay, so let's You've got dragons. Clearly you don't care about authenticity. It's a show about dragons and ice demons. You could not have sexual assault. It would be fine. That's problem one. 
Problem two is if people just included depictions of sexual assault because they care about authenticity, there wouldn't be a single film that took place on an American college campus that didn't include multiple scenes of sexual assault. I read that soldiers didn't rape women until after the Reformation because Catholics wouldn't rape Catholic women. It's just that Protestants would rape Catholics and Catholics would rape Protestants. I think that's ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous. And I'm not saying there wasn't rape in assorted contexts, military and otherwise in the medieval world. Also, you know, one of the, there's an immense amount of scenes of what would be characterized as marital rape in Game of Thrones. Marital rape certainly was legal in the medieval world. However, it was also legal everywhere until like, what, the 1970s, 1970s. 80s? And it still exists. Yeah, it still obviously exists and happens. What do they say now? That one in five women has been sexually assaulted in the United States now? Today? Yeah. One in five? Yeah. And that, yeah, one in five. And that's then the thing is, yes, of course there was rape in the medieval world. Of course there was rape culture in the medieval world. Rape culture is not medieval. Rape culture is just basically how our society works and what it's built on. And uh, there is, honestly, I don't think there's especially good evidence for saying that there was a kind of higher rate of sexual assault in the medieval world as opposed to the modern one right now in the United States. No, they don't have date rape drugs. Right, exactly. We've essentially, we've made it easier to rape women. I don't know when it ended, but the only difference is that unlike the Roman times and Lucretia, if you rape, you don't feel it necessary to kill yourself. Hopefully. I mean, I mean, obviously with the PTSD and God knows what else, it has horrible, horrible effects on you. But it's not, I don't think it's like Lucretia where the second you rape, you say, should I live? Should I die? I better die. Right. I mean, the in most contexts, we don't have the same honor culture surrounding rape. And, but, you know, still, we do still have an immense amount of essentially blaming women for being raped so that, you know, you don't have the kind of, you know, assumption that women who are raped, the only uh, outlet for them is to oh, kill themselves. On the other line? hand, there's an immense amount of essentially saying that, like, women, the legitimate rape one. No, the line about that white kid who got out of jail in like seven months or something as opposed to something else. They say Brock Peters, that's somebody. Brock Turner. Brock Turner. They said somebody spent more time in, in jail than Brock Peter. I can't remember. Some, yeah, no, I can't remember exactly what it is. But, you know, Brock Turner spent an astonishingly short time in jail because we care more about male rapists than we do about women victims. It might ruin his life. Yeah, because we don't care if he ruined the wife of the woman he raped. So, so, you know, the point of this really is just rape culture remains deeply pervasive. And I do, and I've said this before on this podcast, but I do think that there is an effort to essentially emphasize rape culture as being something pre-modern to try and convince women that we have it better now when in that particular respect, I'm not quite sure we do. Well, I mean, I'm not taking away from that, but there's that whole movement that your medieval people were really violent and were much nicer now. Where the fuck are they getting that from? Right, and that's, uh, you know, and so that's the uh, Steve Pinker argument in The Better Angels of Our Nature, this, you know, we've gotten less violent. And one of the very good, and there's a number of very good critiques of that, including the fact that he knows nothing about the Middle Ages. Right, and one of the critiques about that is that the only medieval source he cites is a 
coffee table book written by a man who is not an academic and whose main <laughs> occupation is as a sword swallower. <laughs> I like this. I'm putting that up. I should have said that when you when I was saying why you invited me here. I should have said I'm a really good sword swallower. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're much more qualified than the person who wrote that book. But that's the thing is that so you have uh, is that you have that that he clearly doesn't know anything about the Middle Ages, but it's also that he dismisses and ignores in his are book we on massive Pinker categories. Or are we on uh, Game of Thrones. Pinker. Okay. That Pinker, when he's talking about modernity, ignores major categories of modern violence, one of those being sexual assault. And the other of those, and this actually is going to be a lead into another thing I want to talk about, another of those being mass violence perpetrated often by law enforcement against black and brown people. That he doesn't give a shit about that. That doesn't count. Right. As I said, he's not watching TV. So that then is going to lead into that I also would like to talk about race and ethnicity in Game of Thrones. So first of all, there is, of course, the first, the initial problem of just lack of representation. Game of Thrones, as I have said before, has a cast that is so large that it has its own special Wikipedia page just for the cast. Of that, there's what? Four actual characters who are people of color? I don't know. Who's the fourth? I only count three. Uh, I was thinking in terms of people who are actual, like, named Khal characters Drogo, that you know something about. Caldrogo, Grey Worm, Missandei. And Grey Worm, that's three. So that's three. And then, so Dorne actually, I think, gets complicated. Several of the actors cast are not white. And Dorne has kind of Spanish vibes. And arguably, there's kind of Al-Andalus connections. So Dorne arguably has a kind of Arab flair, essentially. Spain clearly is the inspiration for it. Well, Castile is clearly inspir- Castile Al-Andalus is clearly the inspiration for Dorne. But so that's part of it, is that there's very few actors and characters of color. This is something also that, again, the showrunners and Martin have talked about in terms of authenticity. Once again, you have dragons and ice monsters. If you, ha- if you can suspend your disbelief about ice monsters, I'm pretty sure you can spend- suspend your disbelief about there being a Black person who's among the nobility. I don't think anyone would have noticed Except for crazy people. Yes, and there's obviously crazy I mean, racists out there. I don't think anybody would have said, oh, for, first of all, they would, first of all, people don't even know that there weren't any because there were some. Of course there were. So it's just nonsense. Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing, too, is that there were people of color in the real medieval right. world. And they even were, if they were, for the most part, not about nobility, said, they existed. You can put them there if you put dragons there. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have a woman brewer than <laughs> Right. <no. laughs> It's a black woman brewer. It'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, and so that's very much the thing is that also, you know, there, there also, there were people of color in even medieval Western Europe. There weren't a lot of them, but there were some. So there's that too. But then, as I said, there's really just a very much thing like, right. this it is not matter medieval if it's Europe. Authentic. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then there are the issues with the few characters of color that we do have. And the big one is the Dothraki. The Dothraki are presented as just pure barbarians. Just this, like, avatar of lack of civilization. Do the wedding. Do the wedding line. Do the wedding line. Oh, yes. That there's a, that a, that a death rocky wedding without at least three murders is considered a dull affair. <laughs> the analog for the death rocky, or the main analog for the death rocky, are, it seems, probably the Mongols. And 
you know, I'm not going to say like the Mongols were like lovely, kind, generous, friendly people. Did they have a word for thank you in Mongolian? There certainly is a word for thank you in modern Mongolian. I could not find any indication one way or the other about whether there is a word for thank you in the in uh, kind of medieval Mongolian. If there is anybody who's listening who knows one way or the other, please do let me know. But I certainly it's but it's not something. And so I uh, I spent a lot of time actually going over uh, William of Rubric's account of the Mongols. And so this is you know a French Franciscan who's thirteenth century who's this kind of unofficial emissary who's kind of hanging out with the Mongol Khan and uh, sort of reporting back to Louis IX of France. And he, and like, and that's not something that, and certainly that's not something that he mentions. And that's the thing is that, you know, he is not especially kind to the Uh Mongols. He clearly sees them as somewhat barbaric, but to be honest, he then, they seem actually less barbaric than the Dothraki do. He, He didn't say anything about watching them pour molten silver on anybody's head no they didn't have that and so you know and like half the and half the extent to which he actually sees them as being to some extent barbaric is basically just the fact that like well they're not christian ah he really cares more about that than anything else we're going to talk about religion later yes and in particular i think it's important to comment on mongol women and that the Dothraki are presented as being, you know, Westeros already is not a great place for women. Like this world in general is not a great place for women. The Dothraki are presented as being even worse. No evidence that this would be true of the Mongols. First of all, there's been some pretty decent scholarly arguments saying that even the Mongols actually, relative to some other groups, arguably discouraged rape of captives. Wow. Not because they like cared about women as opposed to because they thought it was like not a good use of their time. (laughs) But still. (laughs) That basically was like concentrate on the war, like don't bother raping the women. (laughs) But that like there is not great, but that like there have been some arguments saying that like there's really no evidence for Mongol mass rape in wartime. And when you actually look at elite Mongol women it's very, at least, it's very clear they actually could divorce. They could initiate divorce. Unlike wow. it. So, so no one Jews. could get divorced really without a lot of church intervention in medieval Catholicism and among Jews and Muslims. And only Jew, men Jewish women divorce. still can't initiate divorce in the Orthodox yeah. world. Yeah. So Mongol women could initiate divorce. Wow. So they're actually arguably better off in some ways. They also could certainly own property. And there are a number of examples of elite Mongol women basically, again, kind of ruling as regents in huh. ways that are, you know, not dissimilar at all to the kind of thing that we see in, you know, some of these elite Western, Western European women. So cool. that they certainly had at least basically as much of a kind of avenues to power. Are you just saying that European because London. they're your ancestors coming from Russia as you do? <laughs> oh because of all the rape <laughs> but uh yeah and that is definitely one of the things that is fascinating again you know i'm certainly not saying that like it was you know a paradise of gender equality but there's certainly i don't think is an especially good argument to say that if as a woman you were especially worse off uh, being mongol than anything else in say the 13th century and in addition, by the way, arguably you're potentially better off in some ways because the Mongols were known to have basically also said that like, this isn't worth our time. Um, they actually discouraged things like when they uh, conquered China, they actually were not on board and discouraged the practice of foot binding. Do you know whether they were afraid of water? 
that I don't, they clearly had a more kind of like horse based culture. Uh I don't think that they were really afraid of water in the same way is my sense. But I think that they like, it didn't make the idea of like going across a sea to have a war didn't feel like a great idea because they were very focused on the horses. And you can get from Russia to China just walking, right? Yeah, or riding. You don't have to swim. Yeah. So it was just another way to humiliate the Dothraki by saying they're a bunch of weenies, water weenies. Yeah. It kind of like adds to this level of superstition. Again, not saying that there weren't, you know, superstitions that they had or weird customs, you know. Yeah, they certainly, you know, they were like very into their horses. And, like, drank this really weird dish, a beverage that was, like, fermented mare's milk, which sounds truly disgusting. Oh, I've heard of that. The people, Close. I think people still drink it. I think they do, yes. And I, not to, yes, not to yuck other people's yums in Mongolia or elsewhere. Yeah, but, no, uh, I think that's a standard dish. Yeah. So it just, it really does seem basically like they just kind of want to display this group, which is essentially the only substantial group of people of color that we have as being, as I wait, said, this wait, just wait, like wait, stereotypical wait, wait, wait. group of barbarians. Wait, 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 wait. Where do the unsullied come from? Aren't they people right. of color? Yes, or at least most of them are. Certainly their leader is, and Grey Worm. The unsullied are soldiers, right? Not slaves? Yes. Yeah, or, well, they're both. They're slave soldiers. Okay. But they become slaves because of their race? No. So I will say that one of the, if they're, so they're in the, that kind of area around Marine, that's where the Unsullied are. Uh-huh. That's true, is that those actually also seem to like vaguely be people of color, but they're not really me. They're not really real characters. And how did they become, a, are they all orphans? I think they capture them. Oh. And then they also castrate them. Yeah, I remember that. I just wondered where they got them all from. It's not like the France taking all their soldiers out of orphanages. No, I think they capture them. I mean, it's, uh, they actually, so the analog for the Unsullied, except for the castration part, is really probably like the Mamluks. Oh, really? I like the Mamluks. Yeah, I mean, that it's this kind of mass group of slaves. It's that they're a group of slave soldiers, and then eventually, basically, they just took over. (laughs) Oh, oh, that, okay. I sort of caught up with them when they took over. Right. But before that, like the, I mean, so eventually there is a dynasty that because that's where the first kind of person of that dynasty came from is from the ranks of these slave soldiers. But that's, yeah, but that's how they started essentially. Hmm. And where does she pick them up again? Oh God. In and around Marine. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, cause that's also, you know, I mean, we spend so much time in Marine and I will say also just like, Especially because of how it's done in both the show and the book, I just struggle to give a shit about Marine because there's no reason that's actually ever given to us to care about Marine, to be honest. Well, I mean, in theory, you sort of get rid of slavery, you kill all the slavers, and you know that the second you leave, the slavers are going to take over again. I mean, this must be right. difficult. You went to all this trouble, all these people died. And as soon as you leave, nothing's going to change. So she decides to stay, which, of course, is the wrong decision. Then she leaves, and she leaves the boyfriend in her stay. Uh, you know, you, it's, you need to have a plan. It's like when we went right. into what it, what it was, if Afghanistan or Iraq. You, and some people actually have said that this is all Danneries is the United States and Iraq. But you need to have a plan. You can't just... 
right. bust in, kill the people you don't like, and say, okay. Well, that's, of course, the other thing that's important to mention here is that Danarese's narrative in Marine is very much this kind of white savior story. Oh, it's horrible that way. That we have this, you know, like, whitest of white blonde ladies who shows up and, you know, is then, like, acclaimed by all the brown people for saving them from the slavers. Yeah. I will say one thing I will say in favor of Game of Thrones is that there actually is no evidence for slavery being race-based in the world of Game of Thrones, which is actually accurate to the medieval world. Well, that's why I asked you about this. Yeah, no, there's no evidence that in the the show or the books, I don't think there's any evidence that it's race-based in any way. What do the Dothraki do with the people they capture? I mean, they They enslave them. They do. I think, yeah. So they have slaves. Yes. So the only place slavery is illegal is Is Westeros. And one of our big heroes is in trouble for selling slaves. Jorah Mormont, right, is, yeah, participated in the slave trade. And that's the thing, too, also, by the way, is that it sets up this odd, like, sanitizing of the stand-in for Western Europe as being the one real holdout against slavery, which does not have any medieval basis whatsoever. Medieval, Renaissance, Enlightenment... Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a little, di- the whole thing is disingenuous because, of course, like the Western world will become known for its massive enslavement of black people. But even, you know, talking about the medieval world where slavery wasn't race based in the same way, there is still essentially a kind of religious based slavery so that in Western Europe, it wouldn't be considered licit to enslave Christians. But if you could get a hold of, say, a Muslim slave, or honestly, even like if you're like an Eastern Christian slave, that's not really quite Christian (laughs) enough. And Jews could have Muslim slaves and Muslims could have Jewish slaves, but they couldn't have Christian slaves and Christian countries. (laughs) Exactly. So that slavery is so that enslavement is really about religion as opposed to race, but that it's not illegal to have slaves anywhere it's just you know there aren't really slaves in england in this period in the 13th 14th centuries but that's not because it's illegal it's just because like they don't really have a convenient market to get muslim slaves so that the the kind of center of of enslavement in the western world is really the mediterranean and they don't need them. Right. I mean, there's also none of these places really have plantation slavery. That slavery is really uh, mostly domestic and urban. Like, it's mostly actually female slavery. What do you mean? The majority of slaves in Western Europe are women who are enslaved as and who are then put to work as domestic servants and then also expected to get pregnant probably by their masters. So essentially they're also basically sex slaves who are then also expected to act as wet nurses for their master's children or to be rented out as such. But no, as soon as Britain got land and places where they could grow rubber trees or whatnot, they had slaves. Right. So medieval England doesn't have a lot of slaves, but that really is just because countries would grow in rubber. Right. So they certainly, they don't have a need for us. I mean, nowhere in the medieval world and the medieval Western world really has a kind of need for a slave-based economy. And to the extent that there is uh, slavery, it is, as I said, mostly kind of urban and domestic. It's late 15th century when they start discovering the new world and they have better climates. 
Yeah, that they start, you know, developing plantations and you have plantation slavery, right? That that's really, yeah, late 15th into 16th century. Did you hear about Rhode Island? No. Rhode Island is really named something like Rhode Island, the Commonwealth, and Rhode Island Plantation. <laughs> and they're getting rid, rid of, of the part of the name that says plantation. Mm. That was in today's news. Good for them. About time. And so, you know, we are in a moment yeah. where a lot of things are being renamed. Right. But he has anyway, a Columbus statue so, in, uh, in New Haven just came down. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think all these statues could come down. But since oh, yes. it hadn't been the day we got to the top of the Columbus circle statue in new york because mm-hmm. some artist turned it into a house yes and actually though i am just going to because we are talking about it, i am just going to make my official statement on this podcast that y'all history we do not learn that from statues we learn that from books and documents oh, oh i love we don't learn that, that from statues that are things- built like a century after the civil war that's not where we learn the history of the civil war what they say Oh, I can't remember what it was. It was something like they pulled down a statue of of King George, and that's why nobody knows who won the American Revolution. <laughs> right, I think Ollie posted that meme. Oh, that was in, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Ollie posted that meme in the media evil group. And also, like by the way, because statues are usually, in fact, of the people who won, it would even could even be argued that, in fact, the statuary of the Confederate generals is misleading because it would make you think, if you looked at it, that the South had won the Civil War, which they did not. But as you said, we learn our history from books, from oral history. From documents, and not to mention that the statues of Confederate generals in the South are largely not even historical artifacts of the Civil War. They're things that are put up in the 1960s during Jim Crow to teach Black people their place. Yes, and there are also statues of Confederate generals in states that were not in the Confederacy. It's not their Yep. It's not their history. It's it's, it's racist. Oh, yes. I spent a lot of time in Indiana seeing Confederate flags. Indiana, a state that fought for the Union. It's intimidating racial garbage. Racist garbage. Yes, it is. So you're saying the Unsullied are not all people of color? Men of color? I think they all are, are, but they're also... They're all men. I think all or most of them are people of color, but they were also enslaved by a group that was all or mostly people of color. Well, I think castrating them all is like a really dangerous idea for a book or movie. I think it's horrible. Right. Yeah. I think I think that has other underlying issues that are horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And also that as also this kind of bizarre choice because like the I mean there was castration in the you know in the medieval world including castration to essentially kind of make and including there are people who are castrated who were then generals or statesmen especially in the Byzantine empire and to some extent the fact that they were castrated made them less of a threat because they're not eligible to be emperor yes and the men in the harem Right. Yeah, exactly. That you're that you're not a sexual threat, you're not a political threat, because any kind of in the Byzantine Empire and Empire in particular, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that any kind of physical blemish disqualifies you to become emperor. So the really good ways to make sure somebody wouldn't be emperor was to castrate them or blind them. Which would you prefer if you were a male? Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they gave me a choice. I don't, you know. 
No. But so there's a, there's a kind of odd dynamic, too, with this as being this kind of mass, like, group of castrated soldiers. And it also does this kind of odd move, which seems to some extent to demonize people who are intersex or gender fluid, potentially. And I don't like it. On the other hand, I think Game of Thrones does a better job with gay men than most things do on TV. That I do agree with, that you have, uh, you know, that you have, I guess it, it's just Renly and Loras. They're very loving relationship. I mean, it's a They have a loving relationship. And also their, their identity as gay men doesn't undermine their masculinity. Is Loras Kingsguard? He's Renly's Kingsguard. So he, he's clearly, it is extremely clear that Loras is an extremely capable warrior. It's extremely clear so that Renly... Renly yeah, he's, I can't remember if honestly he's like that good as a warrior, but he's he, certainly considered to be a good politician statesman. I thought he won one battle, but I can't keep the battles of Game of Thrones straight. But he won one and would have won another if his brother hadn't killed him. He certainly is presented as capable as a yeah. ruler. I, just, I can't remember specifically how good he is at fighting. Well, if he weren't, then there would be no point in killing Well, I guess you don't want his people fighting for him. Okay. Right. I mean, so as I said, I can't remember if he's especially good at fighting, but he certainly is taken seriously in every way as a claimant to the throne. He is certainly presented as at least a capable politician and statesman. But it's Loras that's beaten by Brienne, right? Which really yeah. seemed to surprise him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I do actually think they do a really good job of that, that I don't think, as I said, I don't think either of them, there's any way in which the way they're portrayed uh, undermines their masculinity. No. And that's, which is a huge problem, I think in particular, so, you know, things like Braveheart, the way they treat Edward II, where they never actually show him openly being gay. We never actually have really? a scene where he, we never have a scene where he kisses a man. That's bizarre. We just have him in this kind of being portrayed as this kind of mincing effeminate. Oh, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Right. And so that is, uh, yeah. And so that is something that I do think Game of Thrones does well. But is that the only gay people? Those two? I believe so. If anybody else has any other examples, feel free to let me know. I can't think of any other examples of openly, uh, of openly queer characters. A lot more incest than gay relationships. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a choice, but, <laughs> you know, so it's certainly not perfect. You know, and it would be great, you know, and also like, you know, they, you know, and it has uh, this kind of one example. That would have been a the... nice arc for Arya. Oh, yeah. No, especially because like, I actually am not especially fond of her relationship with Gendry. So honestly, I wish she had found a woman instead. Oh, I forgot that when they think they're going to die the next day. Oh, that was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like that nice, quiet night, which I liked otherwise, yeah. but that was silly. So there aren't otherwise gay representation. There aren't any characters that I would exactly describe as being trans. Uh, um, I don't think Brienne, you know, Brienne dresses as a man, but I don't think there's a real serious argument to be made for her as a trans character. Well, it's hard to be a knight in a petticoat. Right. I mean, I think most things about the way Brienne is portrayed suggest that she does identify as a woman. She just also wants to be a knight, which, you know, right. is, which is fine, obviously. And I think that's a cool representation of a woman. And they don't have woman, armor but... with full skirts. If you're wearing armor, you're wearing armor. 
<laughs> right, right. So, uh, but yeah, but it does, you know, but so, so I don't think there are any representations of trans characters. I think you can make the argument of about the unsullied being to some extent kind of intersex or genderqueer characters. Not by choice. Not by choice, and Greyworm in particular, who's the only one who we actually really get to know, uh, does very much seem to be portrayed as somebody who identifies as male. Am I correct in remembering that Varys doesn't have any sexual interest in anybody? He is not portrayed as having any sexual interest in anybody, that is correct. Which, you know, I, you know, you, you can't even tell at this point, I mean, because, you know, how much interiority do we get, you know, to what extent is that none, because of... none. Oh, right. And so to what extent is that because of the castration? To what extent is that because he's somebody who's asexual? To what extent does that, what extent is it because he's somebody who we just like don't actually know him well enough to get to know his sexual right. interest nothing, in anybody? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah, so. And the heterosexuals, some of them make terrible choices. Oh, most of the heterosexuals make terrible choices. <laughs> like this is very like the straights are not okay in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Your mother was so beautiful and I loved her, but she's dead and didn't want to marry me. So I think you're going to be a great second best. <laughs> yeah. The fact that there are, as you said, more incest in Game of Thrones than gay relationships and also more um, that, that like weird thing with Peter Baelish being like, welp, your mom's dead. So I guess I want to marry you, oh, Sansa. Like, Nauseating. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, the straights are not okay. <laughs> that could be the name of a song. The straights are not okay. Like I think it's the name of a Facebook tag group oh, okay. that I stole it from. I just want to say one other thing about race, which is related to the Unsullied in particular at the end in this last battle of Game of Thrones, the kind of big battle in, uh, in King's Landing. So first of all, I mean, there's oh. a fact that there is exactly one woman of color and they kill her off unceremoniously for basically no reason. The other thing about is that she is at that war council with all the mm -hmm. women and there are all the men there that say nothing mm -hmm. and Miss Sandy who says nothing. Yeah. And she is a deeply underdeveloped character and she is a character who the vast majority of her plotline is very much about serving the development of either a white woman, Danneries, or a man, Grey Worm. If I had the time, which I do not, I would watch all of Game of Thrones again simply to record what she says. Yeah, which is honestly very little. Is she the one at the very beginning who teaches Danneries how to get what's-his-face Khal Drogo to turn around and look at her when they have sex? Is that her or is that somebody, a previous... No, that's somebody else. Oh, okay. Do they ever talk about anything besides sex and men? Not really, no. I think at some point she sort of asks Missandei things about being a slave. Oh, okay. You mean like, which how was it? is also... Kind of, right, like, yeah. I, I, okay. I think that's okay. I mean, that's okay. There are no books! I mean, it's how okay it's from the perspective of it passing the Bechdel test, but I don't actually think it's great in terms of we have a conversation between a white woman and a black woman, and it's all about, like, so how was slavery that I saved you from, I agree, white savior lady? Right, but if you get past the white savior, I think it's interesting that she wants to know, and I don't think it's the old, 
you don't ask a black person today, what's it like being black? Because they're not representative of every black person. It's none of your fucking business how they feel about anything. But to ask Masande, how was it to be? I don't find that as evil as the asking one person when you can read a book. She can't read a book. Right. I mean, there are books and I don't think it's evil, but I do think that it, I do think that it at least just, it speaks again to the fact that she's an underdeveloped character who her main purpose for being there is to help Danneries think about how slavery is bad. Right. And to let you know that you can have a love affair with somebody who's been castrated. But I saw that in a Jane Fonda movie with John Voight called Coming Home. We know how it how that is. And we also saw that in Um 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 The Sun Also Rises by Hemingway. So we mm-hmm. know all that. Right. And so that's the thing too, is that you know that's the other way in which her character functions is it's really about Grey Worm figuring out his sexuality and his attitudes toward freedom and enslavement is that to some extent, like, he's processing that through her, and he's really a much more important character than she is. He's a very disgruntled guy. <laughs> right. And that, then, is a thing, too, is that they have this big last battle. So Masande's dead, and uh, you have Danneries goes nuts and decides to burn down all of King's Landing. And then the dynamic that you have is that you have these rational nice white men Jon Snow well, and first Davos you have the white and Tyrion putting down their weapons you have yes, we have white army soldiers putting down their yes well yes yeah, so so Jamie Lannister sneaks up and rings the bells so, so Cersei the irrational evil woman would never actually surrender but a man surrenders for her I don't even remember that Jamie did that Oh yeah, Jamie sneaks up to a tower and and That's and what rings he was the bells I Yeah yeah, he surrenders. Cersei oh, doesn't surrender. I didn't know. Yeah. So Jamie surrenders. The white Westerosi soldiers all put down their weapons. And then Danneries, the crazy woman, starts killing everyone. And then Grey Worm and his men, so who are all men of color, also start killing everyone and start Who's killing the no unarmed. Yes, yeah, so you have these this visual of these black men killing these unarmed white soldiers while the only like voices of reason are these rational white men, Jon Snow and Davos and Tyrion trying to stop this battle while the women and the black men go crazy. Sounds ugly. Yeah, and it's I I don't think it's intentional, but like somebody should have thought this through. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think... Yeah. I, I have no idea why they gave that. I think they just sort of decided they didn't want Danneries running things, so they had to go nuts. And I think you and I have talked about it before where the Grey Worm was working on his own or doing mm-hmm. what she said. I think he was working on his own because he was so pissed about his girlfriend. I think that and he was taking cues from her. I don't know. I don't think she gave him an explicit order, but I think she's—I think he saw that she clearly was not surrendering and said, well, I guess I don't have to surrender either. Well, not surrender. I mean, she wouldn't even be surrendering. She would be taking over the city. Oh, yes, that, she, that she's not accepting. Yeah, sorry, and that. And you and your army go in and, and take all the silver and whatever else you want. It's over. 
Right, that she's not, yeah, sorry, I, so I misspoke that she's not accepting yeah, yeah. the surrender, and so we also don't have to accept this peaceful surrender, we can murder people. Right. So I, I don't think he's acting on explicit orders, but I think he's supposed to be taking cues from her. Okay, but if, but saying I did it all for love is... And again, it just, as I said, it really very much kind of feels like there's this, like, here are the irrational women and people, people of color... Of color. <laughs> are gonna murder people who have surrendered and then like thank but like thank god like the white men are gonna try to stop us so i think we can move on to a couple other topics before we finish up this section i had one interesting thing to say about the red wedding you want to hear what it is because it's funny yeah somebody did an interview with him so he Mm -hmm. said this is what i'm basing it on and he got all his fucking facts wrong (laughs) he got the whole (laughs) glenn co wrong about who murdered who it's pretty funny and then he says, no matter how much stuff I make up, there's stuff in history that's just as bad or worse. I just thought it was so funny that it got it backwards. Who murdered who? Like when your right. father and I were in law school together and our teacher got Marbury versus Madison wrong. Ah, that's Isn't that why, why I you're exist? alive? Because the teacher right. got Marbury Madison wrong. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. The last big thematic thing that I want to make sure we talk about, there are obviously more. I know that we're not covering everything, but, you know, it's a long episode already. The one big thematic thing that I wanted to chat about as well was religion. There are clear analogs to some extent. George R. R. Martin actually has said that the faith of the seven is supposed to be akin to Christianity. So the seven then being equivalent to the Trinity, that the idea that there are multiple manifestations of the divine in one, there are just more of them. So, you know, it's kind of like the Trinity and you add on the Virgin Mary and a couple of the saints and then he sort of got the seven. But... The thing that I find a little irritating about Game of Thrones is that with the exception of a few brief references to people praying, among this majority faith of the seven, you really don't until the later seasons have anybody who really seems to take religion very seriously. And it doesn't really seem to matter in society. And one of the big ways in which that's manifested is the fact that there is no real religious intolerance. In the real medieval world, by the time you're in, say, the 13th, 14th century, medieval Christians would not be on board with people who are pagan, people who are Jewish, people who are Muslim, people who are Christians, but a Christianity defined as heretical. I'm going to pause while (laughs) some dog squeaking definitely got in there. People who fit into those categories, I'm just giving up on the dog squeaking, people who fit into those categories would not be considered to be people who would have full rights, the same rights as Christians, that you would be in various ways second-class members of society. And that's the thing that in particular feels like it's lacking, the intolerance and treatment as second-class members of society of people who do not belong to the majority faith. Do we have proselytizing? We do not have any. So the red gods, actually, they seem to pro... So there's the faith of the red god, these kind of extreme monotheists who also, interestingly, are the ones who seem to actually have some kind of power that they actually derive from their religion and that they can resurrect people. The faith of the red god, they have proselytizing, and they actually, the people who belong to that faith do seem to take it quite seriously. 
and the sparrow doesn't proselytize? The sparrow does, but I'm getting to the sparrow in a second. I'm talking about pre-sparrow because that actually does change the dynamic to some extent. But pre-sparrow, and so in the first like five seasons, you don't have proselytism. You don't have religious intolerance coming from the majority faith. It's considered to be completely fine that there's a major noble family. The Starks are are believers in the old gods, something that, you know, the old gods are, I assume, supposed to be basically pagan. I suppose the other alternative technically would be Jews. Certainly neither would be on, would be, you know, acceptable members of the nobility in the 14th, 15th century. And so that's one of the things that does, I think, uh, kind of weaken the world building for me is that you don't have that, uh, you really don't have kind of exclusivity in religion, which is true of essentially all faiths in the medieval world, that basically all of them are essentially various stripes of exclusive monotheism that consider other religions to be inherently wrong and act accordingly. But you do have geographical territorial distinctions, right? So the North is this, Bravos is this, Well, Bravos is complicated in that it's outside the kingdom. What about the Iron Islands? Yeah, so there's also, yeah, there's the Iron Islands who worship, like, weird Jesus. Right, but that's what I'm, it's partly, it's geographical, territorial. I don't know what, but who would move to the Iron Islands and say, hi, find me a tree that I can worship drawing trees? Right. There's so there's that that it's kind of part geographical, but they are still all ostensibly under the rule of the same monarch. <laughs> you know, you're laughing at my cat trying to eat my hair. They are still under the rule of the same monarch. I mean, so the equivalent, the closest equivalent that you would have would be sort of early modern when you have rulers who basically at some point kind of accept the fact that like, okay, we have some Catholic and some Protestant territories. They don't really accept it, but okay. <laughs> Eventually they sort of accept it. Like late 16th, 17th century is not the treaty of uh, what treaty is that? Whatever. But eventually there's this kind of declaration of territoriality that the kind of local rule, like the kind of local princes and lords under the rule of the Holy Roman Emperor in Germany get to basically decide for their own territory. Not 16th century, because Philip the whatever is still going to war against the lowlands. Right, but even that's not actually a precise parallel, because there's really no evidence on the other hand that like, I, I don't know what they're doing in the Iron Islands, but everybody's terrible there. But there's no real reason to think that in the north that like the starks care if you worship the seven gods or the red god or whoever oh but you get wives right because catlin is not from the north yeah catlin is a practitioner of the faith of the seven and that's fine nobody seems to care and what is cersei Circe is presumably of the faith of the seven based on geographical stuff, although it's really hard to tell because she doesn't really seem to ever care. But that's really the major religion. Yes, that is the majority faith in Westeros is the seven with the old gods still mostly but not exclusively prevailing in the north and the drowned god being the thing to do in Iron Island. In the Iron Islands. And then there's this red god people here and there. And then there are other... They're not localized. No, they're not localized. And then there are the other religious groups that seem to be exclusively outside Westeros. So like in Bravos, there's the many-faced god, and that really seems to be a Bravos thing. The only people who seem on board with that in Westeros are Bravosy people. 
and the Dothraki seem to have their own horsey kind of god. I actually don't remember any religious scenes from the Dothraki. There's vague references here and there to some god that they worship. I think he likes horses. (laughs) (laughs) To eat, to ride, to screw, what? (laughs) Definitely to eat and ride. And that I will say the Mongols did actually like eat from their horses on the go. I actually don't remember a religious wedding scene. I just remember all the semi-rapes or real rapes and murders. I don't remember any religion. No, we did not actually see any religion. The religious references are later, I think. Like there's like the religious kind of ritual when she's pregnant. Oh, okay. And what were the Targaryens? That's a good question. And I'm not sure it's that clear. Okay. They kind of seem like they worship themselves. (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that doesn't make any sense then. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's not much religion in the Wars of the Roses stuff. It's just not an issue because everybody's the same. Right. So it just doesn't, you know, you read this, you read that. Somebody goes to chapel. You take sanctuary in a church. And other than that, it just really doesn't matter. Right. Because everybody's all just basically, you know, they're all they're all the same kind of Christian. It doesn't matter. Right. And there are no Jews. Right. And that's, yeah, because the Jews had been expelled a century or so before. And so that's the thing, too, is that, like, if you read, like, medieval texts, it doesn't really make sense that in the unlikely event that you had, what does essentially then come down to a battle that is between faiths, nobody has, like, religious polemic about it. Okay. So I think with that, I think it's actually very nice, but that's certainly another example of something that's inauthentic. Yeah, very much so. But I think it's nice. I mean, I think some of their religions are icky, but others, not my, you know, it's not my business. I mean, the, the hang God right. and the thing. But really, that is just a fake Jesus. Yeah, but like everybody is very chill about religion in a way yeah. that like I would not describe the medieval world as being chill about yeah. religion on the whole. But what were you going to say about how the sparrows change everything? They're so horrible. Yeah, so that is the They're one like moment the where they kind of... Yeah, that essentially they bring in the sparrows, the high sparrow and his little sparrows, I guess, as characters. And septs and septas, which are like the nuns and the monks. Yes, and they'd had those before, but they're just kind of vague, like they sort of help with the children sort of figure. Like they don't do anything really until you introduce them as real, as like real forces under the high sparrow. We're not going to have time to talk about the portrayal of children in this entire series, which is too bad. No, we're not. The High Sparrow introduces this essentially like religious uh, radicalism, which has uh, shades of the Inquisition, which has shades of some of the church attempts that are often a little bit later, like 15th century to kind of crack down on sexuality outside the bounds of marriage. And then, the, and the, you know, it's sort of an odd thing that clearly the kind of referent for them visually and uh, and this kind, including the language of sparrows, seems to sort of be the Franciscans. Yeah, like your little wine bottle thing that you bought. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they've got the brown robes. I got a nice little, like, Franciscan wine bottle cover, which was brown. So yeah, they've got the brown robes. I don't know. They kind of, like, have this, like, animal reference. Like, they're very into, like, radical, like, voluntary poverty. They have these kind of shades of the Franciscans, but in terms of their 
behavior and their kind of establishment of this sort of inquisitorial Dominicans. court. Uh, they're much more like the Dominicans, <sighs> you know, and both Franciscans and Dominicans are involved to some extent in the fight against heresy, but the Dominicans, I would say much more heavily and the inquisition is really very much kind of based around the Dominicans. It's, uh, I would say overall, like religion in the series is pretty inauthentic to the medieval world. The High Sparrow kind of gets at some things that are medieval inspired a little bit more, but, you know, it's definitely a kind of complicated mix of uh, inspirations, let's just say. Also, you know, well, and also I guess I just want to say that it is, however, extremely satisfying to watch them all get blown the fuck up. Thank you, Cersei, for showing what to do with religious fundamentalists. What I sort of liked until it turned into a rape scene was her having that unequivalent scepter. Yeah. Because she was the woman who was leading her down the walk of shame, yeah. saying, confess, confess, shame, 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 shame. And she'd been involved in torturing her before yeah. that, too. Oh, okay. Her! Yeah. And then what Cersei, well, the waterboarding is something else, but when Cersei says to her, shame, shame, I'm going to confess, why did I fuck my brother? Because I wanted to. <laughs> I like Yep. That. So I actually really liked that until she brought in God to Gregory. Yeah, and kind of turned her over to get raped by Zombie Clegane. I mean, assuming that was what, who knows what Gregor Clegane wants to do to another human being, but, um. That's true. But that, that, that was gross. I mean, I'm glad we didn't have to see it because I think they couldn't even imagine it because it would have been so horrible. But until then, you know, you really gotta like tit for tats and quid pro quos. Right. Yeah. You know, as, a, as I said, I, I, I really kind of like Cersei. I, I know she's evil, you know, and I know she like pushed a kid out the window and like, or well, you know, she got her brother to push a kid out the window. Like, I know she's not, I know she's like terrible, but I like, I, I like, you kind of like her. But I enjoy her as a character. I think those are two mm-hmm. different things. No, I, I yes. don't like her at all. Which, which is fair. But no, as a character, she's probably one of the more complex, always interesting until the last episode, next to the last episode. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that she was cheated by her. She's one of the many characters that I think was cheated by her ending in terms of her kind of forced passivity. But she was cheated by her father from the get-go. I mean, that whole thing of basically selling your children to make political alliances, I understand it's standard, but it's horrible. Right. And I understand why people did it. Right, but I think the end bothers me because I feel like Cersei is a character who, despite the assorted ways in which she is disadvantaged, has an immense amount of agency and accrues to herself an immense amount of power... And then is really deprived of that and is made somebody who is passive and lacks agency in her ending. I don't disagree, but I will say that the only character who ends up with any agency and power, other than Braun as treasurer, is Sansa. Nobody right. really ends up with anything. Yeah. John's end is garbage. Arya's yeah. end is garbage. So that's a good lead into the Fabula Nostra section, where... For this, I were going to do a little bit differently again and talk about basically what we might have liked to have seen done differently. How do we feel about this as an adaptation of the books? And uh, 
about how the showrunners then finished a series based on a series of books that was not finished. Will the books ever end? Who knows? <laughs> Almost certainly not. And I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and say something about Braun. Braun has, the fact that Braun get who we've not really mentioned thus far, but you know, everybody remember Braun. Braun's like the, you know, womanizing asshole who's like on Tyrion's side and then he switches sides and then who gives a shit. And he keeps getting castles and wives and stuff. It's ridiculous. He's getting rewarded. And Braun ends up as master of the coin based on, I guess, the fact that he's used to what? More paying brothels. women at brothels? <laughs> like, this is the worst pick for this. Like, it's the only pick for the secretary of the treasury that's worse than Steve Mnuchin. That's what they say. And I, what I wanted done differently, the most minor thing I wanted done differently. Not the important mm-hmm. things. What I really, really liked in the book was we you were just talking about that. The Beric Dondarian can't die because the priest of the red god keeps bringing him back right. to life. Mm-hmm. I really I didn't like he, he was just a mess. But what I liked about that was that after Caitlin Stark gets murdered at the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. He gives her his spark of life. Yeah. And he is willing to die so that Caitlin Stark, in some sense, can live. And then she spends the rest of her time hanging people. <laughs> Murdering phrase. <laughs> I love that. Oh, there's a yeah. murdered person. Must be Caitlin Stark hang- hanging this guy. Lady Stoneheart. <laughs> And I feel like it's especially disappointing because one of the issues that I kind of realized that I had rewatching these episodes that we watched is that they kill off relatively early most of the most talented actors. Oh, did they have to? Was that in the book? To some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Okay. I mean, you're like Charles Dance, Charles Dance, at, you know, Charles Dance, John the Bean. Book. They can act circles around most of these yeah, children. Yeah, Charles like, Dance they have dies to kill in them the off. book. That's that's in the book. Yeah. So part of you know, so a lot of it is in the book. And and what's his face? Ned right. Stark. Obviously, like you have to kill Ned Stark. You have to kill Tywin Lannister. That's in the book. It kind of is what it is. But you are sort of left with the fact that you know by the end, uh, Peter Dinklage is very talented. Lena Headey is very talented. I don't think most of the younger cast are honestly like I don't think they're that talented. Like well, I don't think Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark can actually ca- and Sophie Turner can actually carry a TV show. The best of the unknown well the two best of the unknown young people I thought were Joffrey who was so right. awful he's taken until now to get offered another job. I thought he actually retired. I thought no, he basically some, was like... Somebody offered him a job and he say, on TV. Oh. He seems to have taken it. But he was... Or I thought basically he was basically like, I don't want to be typecast as right. like a shit person and basically pseudo-retired because he could only get these like... stuff, but he seems yeah. to be coming back. But at any rate, he was terrific. Uh, oh, shit, now you made me forget the second person. Arya was good. I'm not yeah, sure I think she Maisie was Williams irreplaceable. Is. Oh, the second person that I thought was terrific was Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, I still don't like him. And I do, by the way, I think they basically use pity to replace a redemption arc for most of Theon Greyjoy's character. Well, when people said that George R. R. Martin can't really write his way out of a paper bag, it's just a good story, yada, yada. I always disagreed. 
and I thought that George R. R. Martin did something really difficult, which was take Theon, Theon Greyjoy, who's like the epitome of evil for what he mm-hmm. does, and make him somebody you sympathize with. Even if you don't like him, you gotta yeah. end up... And I think that's an amazing feat. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I mean, mean yeah. he ends up he does have a redemptive arc. He does two things to redempt himself, so to speak. Maybe three. I don't really care about his sister, maybe, as much as I should. But her introduction to her is so bizarre. <laughs> oh, right. Where, yeah, she pretends she wants to sleep with her brother. It's really not yeah, great. There's, like so, much in, there's so much wrong. incest. It's, it's just so bizarre. Why'd you really do far, that? I didn't recognize really far you too much incest. But at any rate, to make you... I mean, obviously, it's partly because Ramsey Bolton is so horrible. Right. But it's hard not to sympathize with somebody who has had nearly their entire... You, oh, so that's another castrated person. A lot of castrated mm-hmm. men on this show. There really are, Yes. And something, and somebody like Theon Greyjoy is to some extent more akin to the, you know, involuntarily castrated as punishment, you know, like a like a Peter Abelard type. I'm sorry, I have no idea what our topic actually was. But so we're talking about uh, the kind of show and what we might have done differently in terms of what they changed from the book, how they ended. Violence against women. Yeah, that would be nice if they just, you know, <laughs> just changed that. No, they added. I mean, yeah. it's the kind of thing. So Joffrey's a shit. Joffrey is a horrible person. He mm-hmm. cuts off Ned Stark's head. The way, and he says to Sansa, why don't you come see this? He's horrible. And look at your dad's it's head. Yeah. Horrible, horrible. So why do we also have to have a scene with Joffrey and those two prostitutes where he sort of makes, right. that's not in the book. What do you mean? Right, the Joffrey for? prostitute murder scene. It's like, yes, yeah, so we have this gratuitous violence against women as this just you know, extra way to say Joffrey's bad. Off watching this scene. What is the point of it? Right, like we already know Joffrey's disgusting. We don't need this extra scene to show that Joffrey is disgusting, and it feels very gratuitous. You know, I I do have kind of complicated feelings about the situation with Sansa in that I feel like to some extent it people got I I, mean, I don't like the scene. Biden? I think there are problems with the scene. Yes, I'm not defending the scene, but I think there's a weird way in which people got more up in arms about the scene in the show than right, they right, did right, in the right, book. Right, right which bothers me because the only real change is that they changed it from a minor character we didn't care about to a woman we actually do care about. I don't think that's necessarily it. I think that's, it's a, it's a class thing. Right. That she's also like, she's not noble. Right. And right. so it's that like, so it's we have this. Right. And so it's, and you know, cause the show for years had been based on the sexual abuse and assault of lower status women. Right, right, right. And in the book, the uh, Ramsey Bolton's rape of Jane Poole is just a continuation of that. And it does, I think, reveal something sort of unpleasant that people only really started complaining about sexual assault in Game of Thrones when it happened to a highborn woman who was both elite and who was an important character who mattered. And a Stark. And a Stark, right. Because they're so clearly the good guys. Right. Stupid. <laughs> and so, so you know, I'm not, I'm not defending the scene, but I do think that that is... Uh, 
problematic that that's the that that's the first point in which people started complaining about sexual assault being not acceptable in Game of Thrones. Right. I think it's totally elitist classes. Yeah. And they wouldn't have complained if it was Jane Poole. Or at least that certainly it, it would not have had at least anywhere near as much of a backlash. Right. Um, and that I think is is troublesome, um, even though, as I said, I certainly don't mean to defend the scene. No, of course not. So, yeah, so it would be nice to have, you know, just straight up like not had all of those gratuitous, unnecessary uh, sexual assault and violence against women scenes. And the missed opportunities to have women bonding. Yeah. And, and I will say also, I, I think the end is dumb. I think that the whole like, Bran should be king because it's the be- he's the best story. A, Bran's story isn't the best story because if Bran's story was the best story, they wouldn't have basically cut him out for a season because they didn't know what to do with him because he was just sitting and looking at a tree. I liked Bran as running things because I really hate the whole idea of your firstborn son gets the monarchy. So I really like having the idea where one way or another... They're going to have to pick somebody else. Right. I like that. I mean, so actually what I think they should have done is I think they should have split the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There was no point in having a centralized government at all. Right. I mean, you have a kind of loose confederation, a kind of loose confederation or alliance. But really, there's really no point for all of these things to, you know, there's clearly extreme regionalism. Like maybe a couple of them would team up, but they're like, but like really like, I mean, so the North breaks off, but like, why is the Iron Islands part of Westeros? Why is Dorne part of Westeros? That's so crazy. So Sansa raises her hand and says, excuse me, I'd rather be independent. And Bran says, yeah, sure. And then, well, where's, where's Yara? Right, where's the Yara? Where, where is it? never wanted to be part of Westeros. Neither of the Dornish. So where, why aren't they raising their hands? Right. And why would anybody want to go to King, back to King's Landing? What's in King's Landing? Nothing. King's Landing is a burning shambles. So no, I don't, I don't understand why they need any kind of centralized government. And much as I, I'm perfectly fine with Bran, but I, nobody has any qualifications. And I don't think Bran has any. I don't think Bran has any qualifications. He well, he can see into people's heads. You can see the. Past. I don't think it's a qualification. No, I guess not. The person who should have been in charge, if it had happened at the end of season seven, was Tyrion. But Tyrion right. turned out, and this is one of the things I'm very disappointed about. He lost all his judgment, all mm-hmm. his wits, all his brilliant planning. For a yeah. blonde. Yeah, that they just kind of did this thing where they basically decided, well, he's in alliance with Danneries, and so that's just who he is now. And they really they really did a disservice. And to he his lost all his integrity. I mean, really, yeah. handing Varys over was one of the most painful things I have ever seen. Yeah. I mean they 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 did a disservice to a lot of characters, and I think they did a disservice to Jamie Lannister as well, who really I think had an arc yes, of he did. I am, finding I'm, things that he cared down. about outside of fucking his sister. And then it was like, wait, nope, never mind. And then he just goes back to like die with her. It's ridiculous. He was turning into a good human being and then he just yeah. gave it up. 
Yeah. And then it's irritating too, because I think Brienne is a fantastic character, but then the thing that they decide they need to focus on in terms of, because Brienne's captain of the Kingsguard at the end, the thing they decide they need to focus on is like Brienne memorializing Jamie. Like she's deserves better than like, just like theme, than just like having her last scene be like thinking about Jamie Lannister, a man who like ditched her to go and make out with his sister. I agree though. I think that's her job. Yes, but that's not the only part of her job. That's not the, that didn't have to be the part that they focused on. I thought it was sort of nice. I thought it was sort of sweet that she was putting her feelings aside to write what she thought was a fair assessment. I thought it was actually very sweet. Oh, I disagreed. I thought that it was not her putting her feelings aside. I thought it was her giving Jamie a more generous assessment than he deserved because (laughs) of her feelings for him. That's possible too, but yeah. I don't know. Whenever I see her, I'm just so moved by what she does. Right. No, I mean, I like her a lot. And I think she's also very talented. Uh, You know, Um, I I wish they'd put her to better use, actually, in the Star Wars. In Star Wars. Besides, what? She's, um, oh, God, what is her name? Oh, you didn't just make a mistake. Okay. But the thing about her and, I didn't, I mean, I'm glad she got to sleep with somebody, whatever. But, um. (laughs) What I really liked best and why it doesn't bother me how nice she was to Jamie was in my, my favorite episode of any season, really, though certainly the last season, the night before the big battle, mm-hmm. when they're talking, and Tyrion's being an asshole and playing that drinking game yeah. and making her admit she's a virgin. He's just being a jerk. Well, that's what he does. But there was, she was to, they, it came up that she wanted to be a knight, and Renly never knighted her, yada yada, and there's no king around. And then Jamie says, you yeah. don't need a king, all you need is a knight. Kneel. Yeah, and no, and I thought that was that lovely. That was the high point of his life, one of the yeah. high points of her life. So the fact that she was kind to him in that memorandum actually didn't bother me at all. I thought it was perfectly adequate payback for his knighting her, which I think was really more important than his sleeping with her. Right. Now, it's not that I thought she shouldn't exactly have been kind to him. It's that it felt like they put an undue amount of emphasis on that as uh, the importance of her arc and her responsibility as the King's Guard. But she I has mean, you nothing know, else Ron's to do. Bron's supposed to run the entire economy, and the only thing he seems to give a shit about is a, is a brothel. So, like, right? But she has nothing else to do in the Kingsguard. Nope, she's in Sansa's Kingsguard, right? No, she's Brown's Kingsguard. Oh, for Christ's sake! Yeah. Why doesn't he just get that? Some wildlings. <laughs> I don't think the wildlings even know who we are. He's a tree. I'm, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but you know, John's end is just as stupid. Grey Worm's ending is just as stupid. All yeah. these endings are terrible. They really are, yes. You like yeah. Ed Murtelli's when he stands up, he's and Sansa says, sit down. <laughs> yeah, that, that really is really the best ending. Is Ed Murtelli like showing up after like six seasons of everybody being like, is Ed Murtelli alive? Since he was basically, one would think, arrested at the Red Wedding. Right. So, like, you know, it's been what, five seasons of everyone just being like, huh, is Ed Murtelli still alive? And then he just shows up and then this very like white man move is like, I have an opinion and I can help. And Sansa's and Sansa just like, sit the fuck down, Uncle Ed Mur. <laughs> <laughs> Sansa's ending and Sansa's ending is like the one that I genuinely like and that she's I think she's queen makes of sense. the north or whatever she's calling herself yeah yeah and I think that makes sense but you know I think is anyone alive 
What do you mean anyone? After the battle with the White Walkers. Who's alive? I think actually Tormund is still alive. No, no, I mean of like the, the Bannermen, the Lords and Ladies. Oh, I don't remember anymore. No idea. Right, because Lady Mormont's not. Honestly, she's the only one I find that memorable, so. Right, but she's got to be ruling somebody. Yeah, she is, well, she's ruling Bear Island. Is that what it's called? I don't know. But all those people who said, King of the North, King of the North, I've no idea who's alive and who isn't. Some of them have got to be. And there's no more Night Watch, right? There is. That's what John's doing. No, he left. He walked out with his Not dog anymore. and his bud. No, he's got sent back. Yeah, and then they walked out. Because there's nothing oh, right. to guard. He kind of went beyond the wall to yeah, fuck off and do whatever. Yeah, because there's nothing there. Right. So I'm glad she's Lord, Lordess Lady of the North, Queen of the North, but I don't know what the hell she's going to do all day. Right. Really, I think what I actually really want is a spinoff where Ghost and Nymeria and Drogon hang out and say, what the fuck are all these humans doing? The dragon, the one dragon that survives. I don't want that dragon to survive. It's very dangerous. He does. And also that's it. Like the dragon has an interesting end. I think he puts himself on the funeral pyre. I don't know that there's evidence of that. There's no evidence of anything. He picks her up. He destroys the Iron Throne, right? Yeah. He picks up his mom and he burns down the Iron Throne and he takes off. Right. Yeah. Also, by the way, in terms of Danares' character, the fact that she is presented as being overly paranoid, and that's the main distinguishing feature of her character after she turns crazy, but yet she totally does not suspect that Jon Snow is going to fucking stab her. No sense. Makes no sense. Well, what really bothered me the most about the end of Danares near the end of Danneries was that whole business about oh John I know you have the right to the throne more than me but please don't tell anybody because I'm so pretty (laughs) and then oh you told your sister well you know what happens to people who knew and she actually threatens Sansa Right. And so. Arya, too, though she doesn't seem to know that Arya's alive. But right. that whole thing about, I know you have a better claim, so swear to me you won't tell anybody? That's ridiculous! Yeah, no, it's it's not a great... I mean, that bothered me, really, as a personality thing, as a queenly thing, more than her destroying all of um, King's Landing. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the other one was vindictive, it was bad, it wasn't very nice, it was murderous, but, oh, don't tell anybody, I don't really have the best claim to the throne. <laughs> right. No, I mean, that was, that was ridiculous, it was poorly done, I mean, I, I don't know, and also, like, I feel like the season just kind of, like, I don't know, like, a lot of the end, I feel like, just, like, devolved into parody, in yes. like that I just I just couldn't stop laughing at the scene where they're revealing that you know Jon Snow is really a Targaryen a thing that most people guessed like ages ago and of course they have to reveal this like they as like that brand before the books ended yeah remember when we were looking that up uh-huh and they reveal that as like Bran and Samwell's uh, <laughs> voiceover so like while we're watching Jon fuck his aunt <laughs> Oh, that was so ridiculous. And uh, we re- one of the scenes, we one of the episodes we, we watched was... 
Bran seeing the young Ned and the young Leah. Mm -hmm. That was so so badly filmed. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, oh, that was. It was bad. <clears throat> but yes, I know, I know, most people guess that, though I don't remember when people figured out that that would make him his aunt. <laughs> right, which which of course it does. It's it's his aunt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the Wars of the Roses, too. Marry your cousin, your aunt, whatever, whatever, because then you have oh, a right. double claim to the throne. Right, I mean, it's a perennial issue in uh, medieval and right. early modern Europe that you marry your aunts and your cousins and your nieces all the time. Right, but it was, it was unclear to me why the last time she made a pass at him, he said no. Right, yeah, and I was like, is that because... a mass murderer, or because he's, she's her aunt? I wasn't clear on that. But that's that's sloppy writing. It is. I, I'm going to give them a pass on that just because I genuinely don't remember if it was clear when I was watching the episode straight through as, when it, as opposed to when I was watching the episode. Uh, yeah, so I, as I said, I'll give them a pass because maybe it was clearer at the time. The only good thing in the last two episodes was when she's on top of the steps mm -hmm. and it really looks like she's been beatified and has yeah. angel wings. Mm -hmm. And then you see it's really just that her dragon is standing behind her. I mean, that was gorgeous. And her, I will say, her wardrobe in general is fantastic. A little revealing. You know, she's very pretty. Again, I just, I don't, I think she's fine as an actress. I... I just, I think that the season really was like, I think that last season, it really was undermined by the fact that like Kit Harrington, Amelia Clark, and Sophie Turner cannot carry a TV show. I think that she actually did her best acting in like the first episode with her brother. Right. And when she ate the horse heart. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think she got worse. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, the real issue is why they didn't make more of Arya. Yeah, no, and I think they really did. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they really did squander that character in a lot of ways. Because she's, she's a fantastic character. She had, in a lot of ways, the most satisfying she's a talented moments. Kid. She's great. Yeah, so I think of the young actors, I think she's the best. Well, I still have my, my vote for Theon Greyjoy, but you can, you can come in second or first. <laughs> I think she's certainly up there. Among the among the younger actors, as uh, as among the most talented, yeah. And as I said, I think yep, yep. they really, I think they really squandered her. I think they could have done a lot more with her. Well, I think that's one of the things you have to think about, assuming that he really does finish book six as opposed to book seven, because I think there have to be at least two more. Though he can do what he wants. What he's going to do with Arya. Right. So, and we'll see, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not holding my breath for there be, for him writing more books. I suppose it's not impossible. Somebody will finish the series. Somebody else will finish the series. And then I just finished Wheel of Time and the last, I think, three books were written by somebody else. That happens a lot. The thing yeah. is, though, I can't remember how far they got what he got. I mean, I don't, one of the things I really liked about Arya was their relationship between her and the house. We had some of that, at least in the book. Yes, we did. She leaves him to die. Mm -hmm. I remember that because then they say somebody's back because he's wearing the hound hat, but it's right. really somebody else and we don't know if he's alive or dead, yada, yada. But the other thing is in the book, 
Gilly and Sam have, what's his name? Lance Raider, Mance Raider. Mance Raider, right. There's that whole thing in the book where they, they switch babies with baby, Mance Raider. And he's still alive and has their baby. Right. And it's this whole thing because they're, I think they're worried about Melisandre killing people for King's blood because she hasn't right, done, right, 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 haven't right, even right, done right, the thing right. where she and Stannis murder Shireen, which I also think is out of character for Wait Stannis. Shireen's not in the book? She's not dead, no. Bad showrunners! Yeah, that, so that murder has not... it's not him that made Dennis Agamemnon. It's the showrunners. Yeah, that's not in what we have of the books. Oh, it's disgusting. I mean, obviously we don't know what Martin right. told them of his plans and what he didn't. Uh, right. You know, we supposedly he told them something. We don't, you oh, know. right, we, supposedly. We can't know right. for sure. A little piece of paper with all the endings. Right. <laughs> They clearly had more than they, they clearly ended up expanding on that if that's what they got. So, but you know, but we don't know what Martin, what direction Martin gave them and what they came up with themselves. But that, but the thing with Shireen has not, is not in the books as they currently uh, exist. I would like if he keeps writing to really ignore the TV show and yeah. just to keep going. The way he had started with whoever is alive is alive, whoever is mm-hmm. dead is dead, because they don't correlate between no, the, they don't. the TV show, and just let him write it and not be influenced by the TV show. That's what I would like. Right. I mean, of course, you know, right now in the books, uh, we technically don't know if Jon Snow is alive or dead. That's where we end the books. The the you solution to that in this it. show is what I guessed was going to happen. Not me. I never in a million years would have guessed that the Red Lord would bring him back. I was just saying, gee, maybe a blood transfusion. Maybe they didn't get a real organ. <laughs> yeah, I was assuming that was the point of Melisandre being there. Mr. Totally. Yeah, so my assumption is that that's the plan in the book. I would bet that he's going to be brought back in just that way if, if that book ever gets written. Well, we always assumed he'd be alive because we knew from the get-go that he was the child of Rhaegar and Lyanna. We figured that out years before. Doesn't mean we're right, right. but we figured that out. Right. And I think at some point he basically like kind of hinted, he basically at some point said like, huh, I mean, you know, if you like write something and it's supposed to be a twist and then all your readers guess it, do you change it? I guess you kind of can't, can you? (laughs) And that's clearly what he was talking about. And then, you know, at some point it got revealed in the show. It has not yet been confirmed formally in the books, but you know, like it's clearly what he's been setting up. Right, 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 right. Well, does he realize that that makes her his aunt? (laughs) Honestly, he, there's so much incest already. Like, the aunt-nephew relationship is, like, you know, not the worst, so. I forgot what we found when we looked it up from Jewish law. I think a man is allowed to marry his niece, but an aunt can't marry her. Not that it's related at all, but I think in general there are distinctions between whether it's an aunt and a nephew, which people frown on, or whether it's an uncle and a niece, which is not so bad. I certainly found uncle-niece marriages. I have a couple in my uh, in my documents of oh, Jewish wow. uncle-niece marriages. Wow, well, I guess because we're allowed. And, they, and there are mostly cases where the woman was an heiress, 
and they didn't want it to go out of the and they're like so my my assumption is that they they didn't want it to go out of the, the family, family so they're like here marry your uncle right right oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah so i think we have all of my notes on your fabula nostra yeah so at this point i think it's time for us to rate game of thrones who goes first I, I can I can go first. So uh, we rate on a scale of one to five. One is the worst. Criteria is subjective and up to whoever is doing the rating. <laughs> I think I'm going to go for a 3.5. I think there are ways in which Game of Thrones is a really interesting teaching tool about the medieval world. But I also think there are ways in which it's an irresponsible portrayal and poor portrayal of a medieval-inspired world, and those things very much coexist with one another. And as a show itself, there are things, obviously, that I love about it. I would like to take the last season and throw it into a fire. So a 3.5 feels about right for me. It's a really tough one, because it's one, for me, it's one of those things that are, by and large... There was a lot more killing than I liked. A lot more sexual violence against women. And the last episodes were horrible. But other than that, I really, really loved nearly every episode I saw. And frankly, if I could just sort of sit around and, and watch the opening credits over and over again, and how they change from year to year because yeah. different cities. The credits are great. It, it, the thing is brilliant. Politically, I, I don't love it. Not because of what you're thinking about. But when we did go to Belfast, we found out how much money they spent just to make it winter. Right. It was like a quarter of a million were in Belfast. Pounds? Every time they wanted right. to put snow on the ground and take it. People are hungry, for God's sakes. Just right. And a moment where, you know, with the pandemic <laughs> and everything else, where I think people are hopefully becoming more thoughtful about economic inequality, the amount of money that was spent on this show is insane. It is insane. On the other hand, it gave unbelievable amounts in the long run to Northern Ireland and probably mm -hmm. Croatia because of all the people coming to go on Games of Thrones tours, but be that as it may. And they did, I believe, hire a lot of local extras. Oh, they had to. Every yeah. single person we met in Belfast. I was this, my friend was dead for the whole show, my uncle was this guy, everybody was, everybody, they had to hire locals, at least in Belfast, everybody yeah. was local. And then even we took a little boat tour, and the guy says, oh yes, they hired me to give them water lore. And this is, so I was helping them when, Arya jumped off a boat or something because mm -hmm. I knew where she would jump and where she would come out and how wet yeah. she was. Amazing. But at any rate, so I love nearly every episode, but the violence against women is is so troublesome, plus the racism that I think I, I would have to give it a four just to punish it for how I treat women and, and people of color. Right. And as I said, I think I think even a lot of the things that they did well on gender, they really squandered in the last season. It never did well on race and right. did not get better. Right. 
But I would be lying if I didn't say I adored nearly every episode. Mm-hmm. And I so think I could you. say that until the last. <laughs> I think I could say right. that until the last season, right. where I felt like I was just mad most of the time I was watching right. the last season. Though the second episode in the last season is one of the best TV hours I've ever seen. Yeah, and I like that, most like the it. quiet before the battle. Yeah, and that right. was a lovely episode. But yeah, no, I mean, and then it goes. I, I got so angry now, watching they, that last they season. They dialed it in. They've admitted they had no interest in the last season. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment of it. So as we wrap up, are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? I think just under my name, I'm sitting there on Facebook and Twitter because I never remember to get a secret handle. Isn't your handle, uh, aren't you, what's it, you you have something, is your your Twitter handle isn't just Beth Greenfield, Uh, is it? BethG20904? Yes, I think so. (laughs) It's not a secret, it's your Twitter handle. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I mostly use it to complain to organizations and to like things. <laughs> well, yes. people could follow you on Twitter if they so desired. But my Facebook is my name, right? Uh-huh. And you yeah. spelled it right and everything. I didn't spell it right. You spelled it right. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's your fa- I didn't set up your Facebook account. No, I meant on your introduction. You pronounced it right. Yes, of course I did. I'm your daughter. <laughs> I know what your name is. <laughs> And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts, and I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye.